I'm Dr. Ben Dale, and I have a fear of retirement. interviewing people that I know and respect and have maybe an interesting take on on retirement and today I have the honor and privilege of sitting with coach Neil Perlmutter okay your last name coach yes I call you coach P that's not, easy not because I want to be cool and seem like your friend <laughs> because Perlmutter is hard for a southerner <laughs> and the trouble starts with the R. Yes. You know, the R, that's kind of where the trouble starts. And, and you think you can get through Pearl pretty good. Yes. But then the L and the M and then the U, I mean, the, from the R through the U is just... Uh, it can be troublesome. It's hard for a Southerner. Yeah. So all these years I've been calling you Coach P and it's like, hey, you know, he's my buddy. I, so I have like this little nickname, but no, that's because the other thing would give me anxiety. You're the only one who calls me Coach P. <laughs> Am the I really? only one. But throughout my life, the last name has been butchered to no end. So at least P is efficient and there's no butchering. So it's fine with me. There you go. Yeah. And there's, there's no, they're not stumbling and you're standing there <laughs> trying to cheer them through the process. And that's happened when they introduced me before a game. Uh -huh. It's often butchered. So let's keep it clean and we can eliminate any of the, the fear of, uh, of last name failure. All right, so Coach Perlmutter. Perfect. Okay, so Coach, um, uh, I know you as Coach because I hired you at Miracosta High School, and I, I love the story. So uh, Coach Perlmutter came to us. Uh, we were making a coaching change, and he came to us from another high school where you were very successful. You won in California. It's called CIF. But it's basically the championship, like you won the championship, a CIF championship, and at the school in a short amount of time. How many years were you there before you won CIF? In the second year. Second year. That's incredible. And, and you didn't take over a program that was poised for a CIF championship. You built it and won it in two years, right? Yeah, they were 6-20 and 20 the, year that, uh, the year prior to me arriving. Right. And then we were 10 and 17 in my first year. We weren't very good. And then the next year you win CIF. And then next thing you know, you're applying at, at Miracosta High School. And, I, and in the interview, we interviewed you and you were great. And, uh, and, and, and at the end, it wasn't scripted. And I'm sitting at the other end of this long table from you. And I remember looking at you and saying, what are you doing? Yeah. Because it was so curious. Yeah. Because you had taken a, a, a really a, a, a program with no history, no expectation of winning, and you turn them into a championship program, and then here you are with us. Sure. And <clears throat> I'll never forget your answer to my, what are you doing? You told me three things. Do you remember what the three things were? I know I told you that I thought Miracos was a sleeping giant. Yes, exact words. I think I told you that... Um, I thought we had better athletes in the local community here. Yep. And I don't remember. The that point. was all number one. Okay. There's still two more. Okay. Um, I don't remember. You don't remember the other two? Specifically what I'll I I'll never forget it. 
You said Coast is a sleeping giant. I think you've got better athletes here than are coming to your school. And my goal would be just to keep the athletes that are here in the community. And number two, you're building this brand new gym. Of course, $40 million new gym. $40 million new gym, which I don't think we had begun yet. No. So, but we had the bond pass and... It was gonna happen. We were in the design phase, but we hadn't broke ground. No. And then number three, you said, and you guys wanna win. Yeah. And I thought that that, it, it told me that you really understood us, that we wanted to win. Yeah. And you know, we want to win the right way. Sure. But winning was important to us in a world where I think sometimes participation is more valued than winning. Sure. You know, especially at the high school level down. Yeah. And, and when you said that, I thought, okay, here's somebody who really understands us and he wants to be a part of it. Well, I, my goal was, my goal is, and actually I think we're kind of there. It, we're now in my fourth year. Mir- I just finished my fourth year at Maricosta. Mm-hmm. My goal is to build an elite high school program. That's yeah. been my goal. Right. And so along the way, especially this year, I kept telling my team, I said, we want to, my goal, the reason I came here, the reason I'm coaching you guys is because I want to build an elite program. And to do that, we're going to need to do things that elite teams do. We need to beat other elite teams. We need to win championships. And um, I had a team meeting with my guys. We just lost in the second round to CIF in a close game. Mm-hmm. We had a great season. And I just had a meeting talking about spring and summer to lay the, the, found, uh, to lay the expectations for what we're going to be doing over the next six months before the season starts. And I said, for the first time, I said, we're an elite program. Yeah. And then I asked my players, I said, how do elite players carry themselves? And then how do elite teams carry themselves? What are the things that they do? Because mm-hmm. we're, you know, in order to be elite, you have to believe it. And I believe that we're there. Yeah, that's nice. <clears throat> and and I, th- I think a big thing for you in this upcoming year is what, what you've been building are all now, s- you got a lot of seniors now. Yeah, this was a big senior group. This was our first group that came through. Yeah. Some of them were on our first Bay League championship team. And then, you know, our record might not have been the best because we, I mean, we were 18 and seven overall. But um, that, that group that just, that's going to graduate, they accomplished a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they won a lot of games. And now they set the table. They built the foundation, you know, like the, the stadium that was just built. They yeah. built the foundation so now we can really uh we have the framework to be good for a long time i think so too and i think uh the you know the local the local championships called league right that's like you and five six other schools now you've won that now a couple years in a row and so i think part of being an elite team is that first level of championships is now kind of almost a given like yeah. Okay. An initial goal doesn't have to be we're going to win our league because that's what we do. We just win league. Yeah. So now we're really you're really setting your sights on that next thing. Yeah. And uh, I I think that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. But, the goal the goal from day one you know I like win, winning the league is cool. Yeah. But um, you know ultimately every year our goal is to win CIF and then hopefully we get to a point where we can set the, set our sights on winning state too. 
Right. So we won the league three years ago. Then COVID year happened. Yeah. We didn't win the league that year, but it was a funky year. And then this year we had the best record. It was funky again. It was funky again. It was clear you were the best team. We had, we had a great team this year. Yeah. 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 And so now you can set your sights on that other piece. So, uh, that's just by way of introduction and how you and I know each other. Right. Um, I know that you went to Duke. Did you watch the game yesterday? I watched, yeah, I watched most of the game yesterday. Most of the game. Yeah. I know we were on means. the way to the Laker game. I was on the, I was in the car with my brother, uh, watching the game, you know, as we were driving up there and my brother was confident we were going to blow them out because we blew out Carolina the first time. And I, I saw said, that game and I said, this is a rivalry game, man. It's no, there's no givens. Yeah. And sure enough, Carolina beat Duke in coach K's final game ever in Cameron. It was almost like a senior night jinx where you're so focused on the pageantry yes. that you forget you got to like grind and yes. get this rebound. There were 87, I think, alumni, yeah. former Duke players there. And so they just, they did everything right except they forgot to win the game. You know, they had the billboard list up in the pregame. Was Leitner there? Leitner was there. Yeah. He was there? Okay. Yeah. Jay Williams, Leitner. Well, they were rattling off the names and I never heard him call Leitner and I thought, oh, I I think he was, uh, yeah, he was there. They showed him, they showed him in the stands. But you went to Duke. You didn't play ball at Duke. You went to Duke. And talk about, talk about your time at Duke, but also weave in, uh, because it's important to, to the topic of this podcast, uh, weave in about your family. Tell me about your family and, and get me to Duke and tell me about Duke. The funny thing is, is that my mom and her family, they're from, North Carolina and Virginia. Mm-hmm. So her brothers went to University of North Carolina. Growing up, I was actually a Tar Heel fan. And every year I would go back to Virginia and visit her family. And I hated Duke, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and up until the point I was a junior in high school, I still hated Duke. But my oldest brother, I mean, my middle brother, Aaron, he went, he was at Duke. And um, even, wh- even when he was there freshman year, sophomore year, I still wouldn't root for Duke. And he invited me out. He said, hey, come visit Duke. You know, this is a great place. Come visit. I want you to meet my friends and I'll show you around. And so I went out to Duke. My first night there, I saw Duke play Maryland in Cameron. And Duke blew him out. And it was an incredible time. And I met all my my brother's friends. And I think I woke up the next day and I said, okay, I'm a Duke fan and I want to go to Duke. (laughs) So that's how it all started. Duke does that to people. Yes. it's an. I mean, you know, it's an amazing campus. And... What struck me about Duke and my four years there was every day you wake up and you see your classmates and everybody is so excited to be there. Hmm. It's just four years of like fun and energy and learning. And it was an incredible place to... Did you go to a lot of games? I went to probably... I might have missed one or two games my whole time I was there. So which guy were you? Were you the blue and white horizontal stripe guy were you the bare chest body paint guy were you the who, who, well, who, no, what, what guy were you well people think that you have to camp out to get into every game yeah and i didn't want to freeze my my ass off in the cold <laughs> so you can also wait in line you know and get maybe not the perfect seat but you can still be in the student section so a lot of times i would wait for a couple hours before the game and I would uh, get in there, but I actually worked for the Office of Sports Information while I was there. Okay. Believe it or not, I was also doing Duke baseball. I was the PA announcer for a bunch of the games. I believe that. So I did the PA <laughs> announcing, and then I would sometimes I was working the games, or I'd get a press pass to be at the games. And I thought I was going to be a sports broadcaster, 
So I oh, was wow. I was working for the ABC local affiliate as an intern, huh. and I had a tape made, and uh, I was planning on getting into sports broadcasting, which ended up being coaching basketball. I was a public policy and Japanese major, <laughs> Asian Asian studies. I, I my boarding school. I'm only I'm only laughing because I know what you do now. Yeah, and it's none of that. No, I I was a. Um, Public policy and Japanese major. I studied abroad in Tokyo for a summer. No and, kidding. And then, um, and then I went and got my. I came back. I worked for a few years. Uh, in, in I was in sports business. I worked for the LA Kings and ticket sales. And then I, my family's in the real estate business. I was a real estate consultant. And I quit my job and I traveled around the world for nine months. And then I went and got my MBA. And I'll never forget meeting with my one of the counselors there, and we were talking about career paths. And I said. Whatever I do, I said, I just want to make sure that I have some balance and I have time to coach basketball. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he said, it sounds like coaching basketball might be a priority for you. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I want to do it, but you know, I want to, I want to, you know, get into business first. And, uh, I ended up coming back working for a tech startup and you know, my job would finish at five or six every day and my boss was cool and they would, they gave me the flexibility to go coach. Uh, I was a assistant at St. Bernard's High School for a couple of years, and and coaching coaching some club teams, and that ended up parlaying into a head coaching job. And you know, here I am. So high school coaches make a stipend, and the stipend is like thirty five hundred dollars or something. Correct. Right. It's ridiculous, but that that's public school coaching. Yes. Right. Uh, you get into the private schools, and things change. And things are regional too. Like in Texas, the head football coach uh, makes one dollar more than the superintendent. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know things are different, but generally speaking, coaches get a stipend, and head coaches around thirty-five hundred bucks. So you can't make a living off of that, right? No. Uh, talk about you say you started with a tech startup, and yeah. and you were telling me earlier everything that you learned from that, and then where'd you go from the tech startup? So the, the tech startup, I was the head of sales and I, uh, because I had an MBA, I had some knowledge of, uh, finances and I helped us raise money and get to, you know, get our series A funding, which was really cool, but I really wanted to run my own business. And so I ended up, I liked the franchise business model because I saw the risks of startups where, you know, what, maybe one in every hundred startups makes it. Mm-hmm. And so the franchise business model, they have a, I think I'm good at executing and, you know, I'm good at, I, I thought I was probably pretty good at managing people. So I thought, well, if I get into restaurant franchising, they'll have the, the playbook and I just need to execute the playbook. Mm-hmm. So I ended up uh, signing on with a franchise called uh, the Pizza Studio. It was a startup franchise, but they had a unit that was very successful and it was the innovative build your own pizza concept, similar to Subway. And now the big players in the industry are Blaze and Pyology. And so I opened three of those units. And um, we had two units that were really successful. I love marketing. I was able to do a lot of stuff with email marketing. And um, I enjoyed running those restaurants. And after a few years, though, I saw that our brand wasn't doing great and ended up selling out of those, uh, those restaurants. Mm-hmm. And now, now you're doing work... Uh, you talked about your Amazon project. Yeah, I think everybody during COVID got interested in something new. 
Yeah. And so after like three or four months of kind of sitting on my butt, wondering when life was going to get back to normal, <laughs> the one thing that was a constant was people were still ordering everything online. And uh, I was talking to a friend and she said, oh, you know, I'm taking this class on building an online educational product. And I said, oh, maybe I should dabble in this online thing. And I started taking courses on selling online. Mm -hmm. And first I built my own website. I was selling some fitness products, uh, vibrating foam rollers. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, but I wasn't selling on Amazon. And then I was like, why am I not selling on Amazon? That's where everybody's shopping. So after that first website, I shifted gears. Now I'm selling, I'm learning. It's, I'm having very uh, mild success, <laughs> uh, tempered success, selling some products on Amazon, and I'm hoping to continue to dive deeper into that and and find my successful batch of products. You used a term for it when we were uh, having our lunch together. You used a term for it that I, I didn't understand. Direct. Oh, direct response marketing. Okay, so explain that because I'm I'm a Gen Xer. We don't know what that is. Got it. All right. So let's talk about direct response marketing in terms of the pizza business, right? Yeah. So what my stores did really well was when you, when Dr. Dale came to order a pizza and check out, we said, what's your email address and your phone number? So we got your email address and we got your phone number and I set a goal for all of my cashiers. Hey, if you can get 90% of the people's email addresses that come through our doors, mm -hmm. you're going to get a free Starbucks gift card or you're going to get a free Jersey Mike's gift card. And so our goal was to um, collect as many emails. So now when we run our Cinco de Mayo promotion, $5 pizzas, we can email you and every, and you know, 30,000 other people and we have a line out the door. So getting somebody to read a call to action, mm -hmm. and in this case, an email that says, come to pizza studio for a $5 pizza and act on it. Uh, that's direct response marketing. Okay. Same thing with Amazon. Uh, you click on our, you click on our product. And maybe we do something a little bit different with our imaging or our marketing message. And it makes you want to buy our product versus somebody else's product. Right. That's direct response. So somebody my age hears that and says, you can make money at that. You know, like we don't get it. Sure. <clears throat> and, and, that, and that's intriguing to me. And what, what brought me to talk to you is um, this is a podcast about retirement. So I can, and I am going to talk to people who are either just retired, about to retire, thinking to retire. But I also have an interview set up with you and, uh, and uh, another person this week in your age group. And just for the listeners who can't see, you know, Neil is not retirement age. You're, you know, uh, late 30s. A 41. Early 40s. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you're late 30s, early 40s, which... <clears throat> I had students, I taught high school to students who are now your age, right? And so the, that, that 15 year difference between us is big. And I think you and your generation sees retirement very differently. Uh, talk about your folks. What, what was their career trajectory and what, where are they? What stage in life are they in now? My mom was a school teacher. Yeah. And then became a housewife. She, she helped raise me and my two brothers. Okay. Um, but she still did some substitute teaching along the way. But, you know, she's always been, you know, the one who was shuttling us around to sports and all that stuff. Right. And um, my dad had a very interesting career path. He was a dentist. 
and he had a partnership with a couple other dentists and they ran a big practice and then they had a falling out for whatever reason. He was dabbling in real estate on the side yeah. and eventually the partnership became untenable and he said, I'm selling out. And so they bought him out of his practice and he started investing into real estate more and more and more and it became his full-time thing. So he started off with a house or a couple apartments here or there and then now um, he's been in the shopping center business um, owning, owning and managing shopping centers for a long time. And is he still doing that actively? So my oldest brother, Mark, took over uh, the family business. He kind of went under my dad's wing about, call it uh, 15, 17 years ago, and now he runs the business day to day, and my dad is there too. He's more of like a consultant who yeah. uh, helps out with the big decisions, and Mark can you know, run things by him and get his opinion. He's got, my dad's got, I don't know, 40 years of knowledge in his yeah. brain and has gone through every sort of negotiation possible. So, so he still gets to use his toolbox. He still gets to use his toolbox. Now yeah. he's, he's expanded his toolbox mm-hmm. and he's a obsessed bass fisherman and an obsessed gardener. Okay. So how old, so 15, 17 years. So you were at Duke still when he retired. Correct. Well, I, he, he, he was still active in the business, but he, my brother Mark started with him. And then over time, my dad started shifting responsibility more and more and more to Mark until it got to a point where my dad was more focused on traveling and fishing, fishing and, you know, what was the other thing? Bass fishing and gardening, gardening. Yeah. Gardening. Okay. So he, so in retirement, he found those things and he, and I've met your dad and he's uh he, you, I would describe him as uh, a bundle of energy that is just there. Yeah. You can tell, like, there's a, there's a, almost like a vibration to him mm-hmm. with this energy that he has that you know when, when it's focused and directed could be something to see. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when he gets these passion, I mean, he's had a bunch of little passion projects along the way. Mm -hmm. Like he got really into um, baking, I guess it was baking beef jerky, you know, on one of those food dehydrators, or he got into uh, creating pico de gallo salsa. And for three months, that's his project. But so whenever he gets behind something, he's all in. He loves pickleball right now too. That's a, that's a mini passion project, right? Yes. So he's all in behind one project for a certain period of time with these bigger projects that are always there. Bass fishing is always there. Gardening is always there. And his love for real estate will never, you know, waver either. Right. And because of his association with your brother, he still gets to use that toolbox. So he's set up pretty good. And, and I think that's, that's important to understand you and what your, where your arc is headed on how you view your parents and their retirement. And I, I can see a lot of uh, you and your dad. And I can see you doing a lot of those same things, you know, grab, grabbing a passion project. Because yeah. it sounds like that's what you're doing now, which is interesting to a Gen Xer because we don't do that. Sure. You know, I was a teacher and a coach. I was in education. I'm an educator. Yeah. And that's your, that's, uh, your brand. I'm an yeah. educator. My dad was a banker. Sure. And I think what's interesting about you and your generation is uh, you don't see it that way. 
Yeah. And are you, are, are you familiar with the FIRE movement? I have not heard of the FIRE movement. So I just learned about this recently, and, and it's a relatively recent phenomenon for, for specific reasons. FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And it's a movement of millennials, generation Y and Z. And it's where um, they accumulate assets resulting in passive income. So it's that the whole movement is interesting to me because I think your generation, you don't, you don't see your life's arc like we did. Yeah. Where you have, you have your childhood years, and then you have your formative years where you're educating or military or starting a job. Yeah. And then you have your productive years. You know, when I got my degree and I started teaching, you know, I was about 28 years old. Uh, I, I, I was a little bit later getting into the world, you know, because I was in the military. And, um, and then I worked until 54. Yeah. My productive years are 28 to 54. My generation sees the life beyond those productive years is those are my retirement years. Yeah. I, I, I don't think you approach the world that way. I don't think, I don't think we do either. I mean, I personally, I don't even, I don't haven't really ever considered the word retirement. I think, uh, I want to have basketball is my passion. I'm lucky enough where I can do it every day, kind of year round, you know, uh, as we were talking about, uh, before the podcast started, Basketball, high school basketball. Now, if you want to compete at the highest level, you need to do it year round. Yeah. So that's my focus. That's one of my passions, but I want to have other projects, other business type things that I'm doing on the side and maybe kind of like my dad, those can shift his is bass fishing, mine's online marketing. And then maybe I'll pick up other passions along the way and things that I want to invest my time. And I'm always on the lookout for, Hey, what's the next business thing that I want to really sink my teeth into. Right. I think it, what's fascinating about it is you're not bouncing around. See, my generation would see that as bouncing around. Yeah. You're a drifter. Yes. You're bouncing around. You're unfocused. Yes. But we're sitting in your beautiful home a hundred yards from the Pacific Ocean in Hermosa Beach, right? You can't, you can't live in a house like this just bouncing around. Sure. So you're making real money, but not in a way my generation understands. You're doing it like you said, and I can't even I can't even restate it because I don't get it. Yeah. Like I don't understand it. Everything you just said, somebody hopefully listening will understand it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't. Because to for me it's you're an educator. You rise to the high, as high as you can in your career field. You make as much money as you can. You invest in your retirement or your pension or whatever, and then you retire and you live off of it. Sure. But earlier you were telling me, you're trying to get into things and position yourself to leave you the time to do the things you really wanna do. Sure, yeah, I think, I mean, if you're in a position where you can do the things that you really love on a day-to-day -day basis, then I think you're gonna be happier as a person, you know? Yeah. Versus somebody who, you know, I've some friends that are lawyers and you know, they're making good money in that, but they're, Oh, I don't really like this, but it's just it's something I got to do, you know? So if you're in a position to do something that you really love on a daily basis, then you're in a good spot. And I don't think living your life like this 
it doesn't seem like going from Neil Perlmutter now to Neil Perlmutter retired is going to look that much different for you. Yeah, I don't think it'll look too, too different. Isn't I mean, that hope, crazy? Hope, hopefully not, yeah. Do you understand yeah. how different that is yeah. in the world? Sure, well, there's a lot of, yeah, I, I think, especially in other parts, maybe maybe on the coast, people are, they don't think they're going to retire as young, but in like middle America, maybe that's a broad general, generalization, but you know, you work till you're 55 or 60 and then you just cut it off and then you go hit golf balls every day. That's right. And I don't think that, um, you know, my, my closest friends, I don't see the guys that I grew up with. I don't see most of them taking that path. I think they're going to like keep working as long as it's something they enjoy doing. And I don't see them just like turning the switch off one day and saying, all right, I'm retired. Yeah. So that seems weird to you, but that whole thing you just said feels normal to me. Sure. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And, and I, I'm fascinated and envious of this ability to say, uh, I can make money doing this and it has this much of an impact on my life. And I can live with that because it gives me the time to do the things that I really want to do, which in your case is coaching. Yes. Where you're making 3,500 bucks. Yeah. All right. But that's what you really want to do because you have a passion for it and you're incredibly good at it. And you know who you are and know who you want to be. But you can't live in Hermosa Beach, 100 yards from the ocean, only being a high school coach at Miracoast High School. Sure. But you found a way to make the kind of money you want to make and still have enough space to do coaching. And your dad and your boy you know, needs you. Uh, that's an incredible demand. Yeah. How old is he? How old is he? Uh, six years old. All right. He's six. Yeah. He doesn't look six, man. He looks 10. He's a big boy. Yeah. He's a big boy. But so that takes up a ton of your time, right? And uh, I just think that, that that's so different than my buddies. Sure. You know, who are saying to me, you know, how, how, how are you retired? How, 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 how's that even possible? Like, you're not retirement age. Yeah. But then this whole time you and I have been conversing today, I'm now talking to somebody who understands uh, being able to dabble in certain projects. Sure. But now I have enough passive income in my life that I can live uh, a comfortable lifestyle, a good lifestyle. Yeah. And not have to put in 60 hours a week. Yeah. Do you see... Am, am I articulating that phenomenon well? Yeah, no, I think that's definitely, um, you know, our, a portion of our generation, you know? Why and, is that? Why well, is that? I think there was a big shift, you know, in the last 15 years towards uh, work-life balance. Where before it was like, in order to have an honorable career, I need to, you know, I'm going to be a banker and I'm going to work 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. every right. day. And I'm going to, you know, pull all-nighters sometimes and all that stuff because that's what you do versus like, Hey, can I find a way to work a job, work hard, but still have time for my family and still have time to do the things that I want to do. Okay. I want to pause on that. So work life balance that you just defined. So I heard what you just said, but I want to wind it back. 
So if I ask you, give me your definition of work-life balance, go. Work-life balance is, I would say, you have enough time to do your job, do things outside of your work that you enjoy doing, and have family time, and try not to miss on any of those three components, right? Right. Because, you know, some, some people are working 12 to 14 hour days, and they, okay, they get to see their family at the end of the day, but they don't get to do some of the other things they love. Or... They just work and they rarely get to see their family because they're traveling all the time for business meetings and whatnot. Um, or, you know, they get to do their pack, they get to play golf and they get to work, but they don't have family time. So trying to find a situation that affords you all three. Okay. <clears throat> Here's the Gen X and baby boomer definition of okay. work life balance. Yeah. Work life balance, and I've, I've, I don't know if I said this, Dr. Matthews said this, or we were both in the room when somebody higher than us said it. <clears throat> but I was with him when this happened. I can't remember whose mouth it came out of first, okay? But here's the concept. In a room full of Gen Xers and baby boomers, work-life balance is not 50-50 between the two. Work-life balance is wherever you're at in your life, you give the portion to either one that is required at the time. Okay. That's vastly different than what you just sure. said. You said work-life balance is to create space for all three. Well, so that's why I got into the restaurant business because I knew that my goal initially was to open five to 10 restaurants. I ended up opening three, but my whole plan from the very beginning was hire a regional manager. I would run the finances and the marketing. He would run the day-to-day -day operations. So from 9 a.m. to call it 2 p.m., I'd be focused on my restaurants. Mm -hmm. From 2 to 5, I'd coach basketball. And I literally did this. I, would, I was coaching at La Habra, uh, coaching at Sonora High School in La Habra. Mm -hmm. My restaurant was 15 minutes away in Buena Park. So I would ultimately work the lunch shift in Buena Park. After, you know, at 1.45, I'd drive over to the gym to help out in basketball practice from 2 to 5. And then I would drive back and spend the evening with my family. Wow. But that, you know, I was lucky enough to be in the situation where I could, you know, uh, open restaurants. And I think that's the power of being your own boss, right? So you say lucky. I think it's a deliberate approach of your generation and the next one or two generations after you, younger than you. I think it's a deliberate approach. You value... Uh, what you want to do and passion projects and fun more than my generation and certainly more than the generation before me, baby boomers. Sure. You know, well, am I going to go out and try to make so much money every day? And then one day I'm going to be old and I'm going to miss all of the things that I wanted to do. Right. And, and am I going to be happy about those? You know, if I didn't start coaching basketball, I was, so many people say, Oh, I'd love to be a high school basketball coach. So cool. But they never have the time to do it. That's right. I mean, so many of my friends, my brother, he, he runs a private equity fund. He said, oh, I want to be an assistant on your staff. But he runs a fund. He doesn't have time to do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he's passionate about his private equity work, right? But um, for me, I was in a position where I could do both. I could you know, run a business and 
as a, as the boss and I'm was I intentionally didn't do private equity or didn't do corporate finance or wasn't a lawyer so I could set my hours so that I could coach basketball which I knew from a young age was something that I wanted to do. So we'll call that your passion project, right? Yes. So my generation you're, you when you first started this explanation you said what am I going to work my whole life and make all as much money and make all this money and miss out. My generation goes, yeah, 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 that's, that's what you do. The, the previous generation, the baby boomers were like, you work your butt off your whole life and don't make any money. Yeah. Now I'm the greed generation, right? Yeah. The Gen Xers, we're the, you know, uh, uh, Wall Street movie greed generation. Sure. We work hard our whole lives to make it and, and it's never enough. Yeah. And, I think that's why it's so strange to my friends that I, I stepped away at 54. Yeah. It's because they're like, wait a minute, man. You had 11 you're, more years to conquer the you're, world. You're in your prime. You could be making six, oh fig my gosh. six figures for 12 more years and you're, then you could retire. You're so set up. Yeah. If I would have went three more years in education, three years, my retirement would have doubled. Yeah. I wasn't willing to do it. Because something changed in me. I guess I, I guess I have aspirations of being a millennial in some ways. Because I'm like, no. Yeah. There are things I want to do in life that I'm not getting to do and I'm missing out on. And I want to do them. And I, and, and I think that your approach and millennials, Ys, and Zs is a very, very interesting approach. Because my capital is income and legacy like you you're in education is until they wheel you out of there so that they name a building after you sure right no that's that's my capital your capital is the time you have now that's what you value that to me what i hear you say today is your capital investment for the future is the time you have now our capital investment for the future was I need to make sure that I have enough money so that when I retire, I have enough money. Sure. You know? Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by this. It also helps me because I think Generation X parents now, uh, we're, we're trying to impose those values on our kids and it doesn't resonate. Yeah. You know? And so I think part of what makes you you is your dad modeled a lifestyle in his tapering off away from being active in real estate years. The lifestyle you saw him adopting is the lifestyle you have now and you're making a living at it. Sure. I also think that um, people, because of the internet, because of technology, yeah the younger generation can become business owners and business leaders and make money via the internet at a much younger age. Mm -hmm. They can work in technology and they can, they can go create a startup and they can get funding for that startup at age 22, 25, 28 versus in previous generations, you had one choice that was really to climb the corporate ladder. Yep. More or less. Yeah. There's so, steps. Yes. Yeah. So now I think there's just more opportunities to, uh, to break in at a, at a younger age and be your own boss at a younger age. And, you know, they call them, a lot of these people call themselves digital nomads <laughs> and they 
quit their nine to five job and they moved to Bali and they run an internet business from Bali. They're right. selling products from Bali. They never need, you don't need to have employees. You can have virtual assistants. You can hire teams in India or teams in the Philippines or teams in Eastern Europe. That'll be your coders. And you know, I'm selling products on Amazon. So I source products from China and I don't need to run a factory. And I have a consultant who, who gives me marketing advice, so on and so forth. So, you know, that's the, this is the digital age. Yeah. So that's one avenue that lets people go a different route. It's, a, it's like the, what, what did you say? There's like a corporate ladder that, that's, been, that's been flattened. Exactly. That, that whole hierarchy has been flattened, right? Because for me, obviously, it's teacher, vice principal, principal, yes. assistant superintendent, superintendent. Yes. Right. And then you go, if there's really no where to go beyond that, unless you go like county superintendent or state superintendent. Right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you, and there's things that you do, you get a credential, you become a teacher, you get your master's, you admin credential, you become a VP. And then in my case, I got a doctorate and became a principal. Sure. And then toying around with going to the district office and realizing I don't want no part of that crap. So, yeah. uh, I, I, as one board member put it, you can't be in the district office. You're too much of a gladiator. Yeah. You want to be in the ring. Yeah. You need to, you need to be fighting the day-to-day battles. You're not going to want to be above and away from everybody else. You want to be on the ground. So I had a big part for me in saying, okay, I think I'm kind of done. Yeah. And now, and now what, in this whole podcast, I'm exploring, you know, what, what do you do if you don't know what to do? Because that's not how we're programmed and wired, but you're from the onset wired and programmed to live the kind of life where uh, retirement isn't a, a new phase. You're just older. Yes. I think that's a good way to look at you it. You just age. You just, yeah. and you utilize the time the way you want it to. I focused on entrepreneurship at, uh, when I was in business school you know, for this reason because I wanted to be able to have the freedom of time and time management. Yeah. to do the things that I want to do, you know. That's so crazy. There's certainly days where you're like, oh man, I, I got my MBA and, you know, I'm coaching basketball, my focus is coaching basketball. Am I, you know, leaving something on the table there? But Sure. But, um, and the leadership of the young men and the whole thing, I mean, you're doing all that stuff and that's great and you're raising this next generation. You know, the, this uh, FIRE movement, the critics, the critics of it say that it's a club of tech bros. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is a, a, you know, no matter what you do or who you are, there's always a critic, right? Of course, of and course. I, and I think they see it as, you know, people of privilege who have... Well, for, first, the, first the enemy was the, uh, was the guys on Wall Street. And then now, now the enemy is like the tech guys that are making too much money in the Bay Area, right? You right. Know, they're attacking them and then... And drinking I mean, Starbucks and walking their dog at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I'm driving by going to a meeting going... What do these guys do? Yeah. That they're walking their dog drinking Starbucks yes. at 10 o'clock in the morning. Yes. And, you know, now, now, and now people don't go to their, a lot of these companies, they, they never report to the office. They just work from home and do Zoom calls and COVID uh, sped that whole process up of kind of, uh, we don't, you don't need to be in the office every day to be productive as long as you get your job done. That's great. You know. It's been great talking to you and, and learning about this and, and seeing your perspective on this. It's hard to have the conversation because I, I don't get it. You know, so I stumble around to try to understand it. 
I don't even know the right questions to ask. You yeah. know, so uh, I want to listen back to this and try to understand and get it. Yeah. And I think I do, but it's so alien and foreign to people my age. And yeah. so I appreciate you sitting and talking to me and try to, you know, probably talking to me about this is like teaching a toddler to walk, you know, <laughs> no. and, and, yeah. you know, you kind of, you know, conceptually you're over me, like, you know, don't fall over too much on this idea, you know? So yeah. I appreciate you taking the time and, and going through it. Now the final question, which you have choices here. You have hatch green chili hot sauce or prickly pear cactus jelly. Coach Neil Pulmutter. Perlmutter. Perlmutter. There we go. Coach Neil. See, I, we started with this, man. I told you. You're supposed you, to stick with wait, Neil, Coach P. Coach P. All right, let's, let's, let's rewind, rewind. Reset. All right, chalk, <laughs> sticks, take. Whoa. Coach P. Tell me about what, the jelly. What, 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 what we want to know is where are, are you Santa, at? These are Santa Fe products. Or prickly pear cactus jelly. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. I love hot sauce right. on pretty much everything I eat, especially eggs, especially Mexican food. So I want to rip this uh, green chili hot sauce. Hatch green chili hot sauce yeah. it is. There you go, Beautiful, Coach. amazing. Enjoy. Thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure. I'm, I was honored to, to be asked to be on your podcast. And, um, you know, you're, you're a mentor of mine. So uh, it's, it's cool to now uh, have you asked to, to interview me. So Well, you mentored me today. <laughs> so appreciate it. Thanks, Dr. All right. Dale. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Dr. Ben Dale, and I have a fear of retirement.